everyone. Welcome to the Charvak Podcast. This is your host, Kushal Mehra. All right. So today's podcast is titled The Hindu-Muslim Civil Unrest in Leicester. And uh, the focus of this podcast is going to be a very specific report that was published in the Journal of the Henry Jackson Society. And to talk about it, uh, I have the author of the report, Charlotte Littlewood. Charlotte, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for coming. Thank you so much for having me here today. It's really interesting to be able to to talk about our findings um, with you. So I look forward to our discussion. So Charlotte, this is your first time on the podcast. And um, I will first, maybe I'll request you to tell everybody a little bit about yourself, your background, and also about the Henry Jackson Society. As Vasik had come on the society and Vasik did not tell us about the Henry Jackson Society. So, so maybe you, you're going to do that. Um, yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, you already know my name. Um, my background is in law and then a master's in international relations, um, studying Arabic alongside. I've spent two years living on and off uh, in the West Bank. Um, I've looked at women's rights issues, but predominantly I look at extremism and counterterrorism. And I have spent a number of years working for the UK government in counter extremism and prevent, which is our sort of soft end, preventative end of uh, counter terrorism. And um, so that really led me to the Henry Jackson Society, which is a think tank. And a think tank is something that looks to produce cutting edge research that um, impacts on policy making and really drives positive change in the country. Um, and so we focus on issues where, where there are challenges to liberal values and challenges to democracy. Um, we care about people's individual liberties. We care about equality. We care about toler tolerance. Um, and we care about creating a healthy and functioning multicultural society here in the UK. Fair enough. So now let's get into the report, um, Charlotte. So here's my first question. What was the premise of the report? And uh, if you don't mind explaining to everyone, what was the methodology too? Because it's very important for everybody to understand the methodology. And uh, I know you've been on mainstream media in India, and I know it for a fact that none of them will actually ask you that question because everything is cramped in five-minute segments and everybody has to shout over each other. Here, you don't have to. So I'll request you to first explain the methodology itself. Um. Yes, absolutely. I mean, um, first of all, the question that we were looking at is um, there were accusations of various international political organisations infiltrating uh, Leicester in the UK and uh, being a part of this unrest that we saw between the Hindu and Muslim communities. So the report really interrogates those claims uh, to understand what was the cause of the unrest, um, who was involved in creating the unrest um, and what lessons we need to draw from, from it. So in order to interrogate those claims, I had to look at who was being directly accused of being a part of some kind of funding or political attachment to the subcontinent. Um, and they had been accused very specifically. There were very uh, specific individuals and specific organizations that had been accused. Um, so I was able to interrogate those claims. And we did that. We did that by looking at police reports, uh, police statements, interviewing the individuals, um, and also looking a lot of a lot of what happened uh, with Leicester played out on social media. Um, so we were able to look at what was happening on social media, who were the key instigators, ensure that the social media that we were looking at was properly uh, time stamped, uh, and, you know, hadn't been uh, falsified in any way. And once we had determined that we had uh, real evidence, we were then able to write the report. All right. So uh, if I was to 
study uh, the report. So, so let's start with the key points. So the first one in your key points in the report, you say influencers, one who has been convicted uh, on terrorism charges, who ha- who one who praised the suspected mastermind of the Bombay bombings, and one who has offered prayers to the Taliban and was reported to have offered prayers to the brothers of an ISIL fighter, have inflamed community tensions, spreading fake news. Now, that's a very serious issue. Um, can you tell us a little bit about that first? Well, I think this was really interesting because uh, I was tasked with interrogating claims of uh, RSS infiltration and uh, there were lots of words banded about RSS terrorism, Hindutva extremism, uh, words that actually in the UK were very new and not something that uh, research platforms had really handled before. So this was where the media was discussing the issues and this is where we were looking and what we were trying to find. Um, But actually, I, I actually described it on social media at some point as being sent on a wild goose chase. So I went looking for these issues, but what I actually found uh, was that those that were instigating the anti-Hindu marches were the ones that had the attachments to the subcontinent, the ones that had uh, sympathy for, express praise for extremist and even terrorist organizations. Our key instigator, the one that was asking people to move from the rest of the country to Leicester, the one that managed to garner hundreds of protesters, he was expressing... uh, praise for Davoud Ibrahim, as you said, the suspected mastermind of Bombay bombings. Also praise for the D Company, which is uh, Davoud Ibrahim's large narcotic uh, organization. Now, that's a serious problem that, uh, now for, for Indians, Daud Ibrahim is a very, very well-known name. Uh, they, they, they know who Daud is. But my, what I'm wondering over here, listening to you and reading your report i mean i did read it many people may not have <laughs> i did uh, is that how could i mean you guys did your investigation you found it but then i want to maybe take i was trying to study the mainstream media in the united kingdom as this was going down uh i don't mind taking names uh, i was reading the guardian i was reading uh or trying to follow the bbc and uh did I miss it? But none of them really reported any of this. Uh, the they very light touch. Uh, the only thing that I have seen so far is a discussion of how one of the key uh, persons who was giving comment um, on what was happening in Leicester, that was uh, Majid Freeman. There were some newspapers later on that discussed his uh, nefarious uh, expressions of praise and uh, how he is considered to be problematic. Um, And that's as far as this has gone. No one has reported on the key instigator having any links to the D company. um, And no one has really done anything in depth on the extent to which this was spread by individuals who are considered to be extremists. That is not that has not been covered. So if uh, I know we don't know the actual reasons because neither you and I are mind readers in that sense. But what what would be the possible reason for the mainstream media in the United Kingdom to make such an obvious blunder? I mean, it's not rocket science, is this, right? I mean, a little bit of searching. If You don't even have to be like well-versed with Indian society. If you had an open mind and you were curious enough, uh, you would know about these things. But why? Uh, is it, 
I don't know what, what were the reasons in your opinion. Uh, I, I'm not saying you uh, these are solid ideas, but if we were to guess, why were they missing it so blatantly? I think there are two quite um, obvious answers. Uh, obviously, you may not mind readers, but um, if you think about how. Uh, the British press works and what they are concerned about with the first thing is it's fast moving, it's reactive, um, stories have a sell by date and the persons that were shouting the loudest, wanting to be heard, grabbing the microphone, approaching journalists were those with the nefarious links and those that were stirring up the trouble. The Hindu community were not trying to stand up for themselves, uh, were not trying to approach the journalists um, and in fact, they were quite wary of the journalists and some of them refused to speak to, to, to journalists. Um, so we got into a situation where we had an echo chamber of those that were claiming that there was Hindutva extremism being those the ones that were being listened to and then the ones that the press were then following and understanding the situation through, which was really problematic. The other uh, reason is these particular individuals, uh, Majid Freeman, Mohammed um, Hijab, Anjum Chowdhury, and, and those that they are linked with, not them, maybe not them necessarily, but definitely those that they're linked with are very libelous. They're very quick to try and sue the press. Uh, you'll have noticed that they were constantly uh, described as Muslim activists rather than describing them in any way as extreme. Um, this is a shift that we've seen in the way the press handles these issues because to label them, some would argue, as what they are is to open yourself up then to being, being sued because the definition, for example, for extremism, we don't have a legal definition for that in the UK. It's very broad, it's very open. It's also very defamatory. Um, so, so newspapers are starting to really try to navigate this space as carefully as possible um, and avoid it. And also it was easier. It was easier to talk about uh, Indian politics and to try and point the finger out of the country rather than to look at what was happening and to look at the communities concerned and deal with the real contentious and controversial issues on the ground. It was easier to just use this as a time to speak about Modi, and that's what we saw. So, um, so, 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 if I am getting this right, the reason uh, a lot of these people are not explaining things the way to do. So, it's very interesting. The Hindu community doesn't go to the press is because it, it, isn't this a worrying sign that a, a community is scared of the media that if they go there. They're going to be tarnished. I mean, uh, this is uh, this is worrying for British society because a community is literally walking on eggshells, right? Um, yes, absolutely. And but I think we're seeing a change. I think we're seeing a organisation more now of the Hindu community and an encouragement um, from those that are more academic, that those that um, are maybe further in their careers and have more experience, um, are now advising the Hindu community to to be more vocal, to speak up more. Um, and uh, this is really necessary um, if we're going to see a cohesive uh, community moving forwards. So Charlotte, now let's get into this. So you mentioned three main key players. You, you took three names there and uh, the report states a lot of evidence. Now, now, I knew about Anjum Chaudhary, not because of this. And I'll explain how I came to know about Anjum Chaudhary. Um, in, the, in the case of Anjum Chaudhary, I've been following um, British politics uh, and uh, Islamism in, in England for a while. 
And because of that, I was going through. And my first experience with Anjub Chaudhary was a long time ago when Majid Nawaz uh, from the Quilliam Foundation had spoken about Anjub Chaudhary. And uh, he was quite a, quite a character, that fellow. But uh, Mohammed Hijab, I know because of uh, <laughs> uh, my interactions with the ex-Muslims uh, globally. And ex-Muslims have been debating Mohammed Hijab consistently. And then Mohammed Hijab has spoken with uh, Western commentators like Jordan Peterson, and recently, folks like, I don't know who that guy is. Apparently, he's famous amongst people. I've never heard him. Andrew Tate or something. Um, but I want to focus on Majid Freeman. I, I looked at his tweets. Uh, I'll be very honest. I did not know who Majid Freeman was before the Lester violence, you know, was uh, discussed. How can a person who has made such blatant tweets which you have shared in the report. I don't need to mention them. I would recommend all of you to go and download the report. It's easily available on the Henry Jackson Society website. How can a person like this be a source for mainstream media? And if you could mention maybe a bit of his views too, to, to maybe explain the point. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so Majid Freeman, there's a wealth of information actually that didn't even go into the report. Um, he has expressed praise for Anwar al-Waki, who is a key al-Qaeda ideologue who was uh, eliminated by drone drone strike. Um, he's given prayers to the Taliban uh, for the release of Afia Siddiqui, who um it is it is reported and she is she's in prison uh for having said uh, that having killed american soldiers saying that she wanted death to americans because that is that is that is what is considered this is under debate but prayers to the taliban we thought was kind of evidential base enough for this individual to not be uh, relied upon in this way um and the reason why I think the press heavily re relied upon him is because he was the one in Leicester approaching the press. And one of our policy recommendations is that the press needs to do better due diligence, especially when it's dealing with controversial community uh, conflicts like this, um, to interrogate who they are approaching for question and comment um, and to be very careful about who they're taking comment from. Uh, uh, Majid Freeman was able to essentially run away with a narrative and speak into a vacuum whilst um, uh, speak into the vacuum uh, whilst we were unsure what was happening, whilst there was a lack of evidence as to what was happening. Um, Majid Freeman stepped in um, very boldly, very confidently and took the microphone. So there needs to be due diligence done on the part of the press. The real concern, however, was the fact that Majid Freeman was able to get such um, a platform with the mayor, the city mayor of Leicester, able to meet with him and discuss issues in the community and have him nod and agree that Hindutva extremism was at the basis of the unrest and to discuss the upcoming independent uh, report into, into Leicester. Um, that was really concerning and really threw into question the independence of the review um, and into question the those that they were going to approach to to add to the content and the evidence base for this review. So what, what was this specific claim when it comes to Hindutva extremism? Like, who are these Hindutva extremists and what exactly do they do in the United Kingdom? 
Um, so I think understanding exactly what Hindutva is and what, what in Hindutva extremism is, is something that uh, requires a lot more research and understanding in the UK. Um, my task was to find out if there were any extremist organizations or terrorist organizations present in those that organized the Hindu marching. Um, and and that, that was my direction of interrogation. But obviously it became very um prominent as we were doing this research that there was a lack of knowledge base um, and a real risk because we we did not and have not dealt with what this what is this Hindutva for extremism um, as a former prevent coordinator and counter extremism coordinator it was never an extremist organization or an extremist ideology that we had considered a threat before it was nothing that we'd ever worked on um, and we had to question what is it is it in the UK and is it a threat um, this is this is something that has to be to be researched and looked into. My opinion at the moment, looking at what we've seen in Leicester and knowing uh, what I know from my professional background, is that this is not as yet a threat. Um, and that is not to say that now that we have a vulnerable uh, Hindu community that have been really attacked and really let down, that there isn't a potential now for nefarious and extreme organizations, whatever they may be, to take advantage of the situation and to radicalize um, members of our Hindu community. So there, there does need to be an interrogation of what this is, um, whether it is a threat or not. Um, and even if it is not a threat, is is there something that could be a threat now that we have a vulnerable, um, a vulnerable Hindu community that feel aggrieved? But so, what does the Hindu community do then? Right, I'll I'll share my experience. Uh, since the last few weeks, I was in Canada when the Lester violence said. Uh, actually, no, I was in America to be very honest at that time um and i would get frantic messages or emails from worried hindus who are supporters of my podcast from the united kingdom writing an email to me worried as hell they're like we don't even know <laughs> it's like what I, I remember one kid emailing me that somebody came and asked him he's like are you an rss member he's like even i do not even know what rss is to be very honest and and that person was like first of all uh this 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 maligning of a movement uh can we malign something at a fundamental level without understanding it? Um, B, if you don't know something, I think the most, uh, I thought the most rational thing to do when you don't have an opinion about something or you don't understand something was just say three words, I don't know, and get it over with. But since when did everybody become a crystal ball gazer in, in Western discourse in general? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, as I've just said there, this area requires further research. We've identified a knowledge gap. There is a vulnerability now for people to run away with a narrative on this. And the press fell prey to that. Um, and so that essentially what I'm saying is this isn't an area that was my area or, of interrogation for the report. And uh, I'm aware that this is an area that requires further research, sort of, as, as you're saying. Um, and it's dangerous. It, it's dangerous to brandish around terms like extremism and terrorism without first figuring out, A, are they present? And B, what are these organizations that are being accused? Um, all that we know on a, on a British basis is that the RSS is not a prescribed organization, which means it's not classified as a terrorist organization in the UK. UK. Therefore, it's not considered as a terrorist threat in the UK at present. And that's where 
the line ends on the British understanding of the threat to the to the UK from this organization. And from that, we have realized, you know, we need to know more, we need to understand more. Um, and we have got further pieces of research proposed. Um, we're, we're hoping that there'll be support for us to be able to do further research um, and that we can look into all of these areas in, in, with greater detail. So in the report, you mentioned specific false claims that were made while, you know, the events, uh, aforementioned events were going down. Um, there were claims like BJP organized what was that? A bus to bring Hindutva? <laughs> I just, I just find it hilarious when I just read all this. Like Hindutva extremists are coming to Leicester. Like, what are the Hindutva extremists going to do? They're going to go and start singing Hindu songs and start doing the bhangra or or, or the garba around around these people. I, I wonder what these Hindutva extremists are going to do. Or, or the next claim was they were like, um, you know, there was a talk by. Now, now here, uh, I would uh, I would understand it like Sadhvi Ritambra was giving a talk, and then uh, later on, it was found out that the talk was cancelled way before. But they 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 made it an issue anyway. But but how like uh, in India we call this WhatsApp University, where WhatsApp has, is a world of its own, where uh, you know the old adage is what happens uh, somewhere stays. And like what happens in WhatsApp doesn't stay in WhatsApp; it goes everywhere. Now, how do we? tackle this menace and how much of a role do you think stupid whatsapp forwards have played or social media has played in these in, in these events oh it was run by social media so you're talking about the bjp organized bus which was just a tourist bus that had nothing to do with anything um in which one of the guardian journalists fell prey to um but then but then she put out an the the myth myth busting out on her social media to to kind of um undo uh, the part she played in perpetrate like continuing to push that 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 false claim but there were many false claims there was um Hindutva had kidnapped a 14 year old girl um that there had been a rape that there had been an attack on a mosque it got to the point and i've not seen this before where police started having to release statements, regular statements, to say, this isn't true. There has not been a rape. There has not been a kidnapping. There has not been an attack on a mosque. Um, I, don't, I mean, I'm not sure if this has happened in other situations, but for me, looking at this, this is quite unprecedented. Um, and this was, the I would say, why such a large number turned up in Leicester. Um, because I wouldn't say that there is such a large number in the UK of the Muslim community that are extremely opposed to the Hindu community. But I would say a large number were convinced that there was some kind of threat to the Muslim community in Leicester, like they had been duped. Yeah, but this is such a very thing that even a tourist bus, just a random tourist bus. I know, I mean, I'm laughing right now because I'm just thinking about it. Those poor tourists are going there and then suddenly somebody comes up, you terrorists, I was like... Man, I just wanted to see the place. I didn't even want to do anything. <laughs> but this is a worrying trend where you can weaponize social media and you can malign an entire community. Now, this is the place where maybe I want to spend some time talking about you, the after effects of this. Like, your report states something very scary. Your report states that there were the families, uh, those specific families were so scared that they actually left the area. Now, I, at that time, I remember 
some of them had come back now i don't know what has happened since then so i'm asking have all of them come back have all of them displayed their symbols like i remember talking to families at that time and they had told me that they removed hindu symbols outside their house now now are we living in like a sharia state or something where if you're not complying to the state religion you cannot uh, display your religious symbols like what don't you think this creates a very bad public relations image for the united kingdom in general where people from a particular religion now cannot even display signs outside their own house which is their own property or on their cars like putting a small sticker or a label of uh, say their lord or god i mean what is the status as of now this was heartbreaking to be very honest with you i spent um 3 days in leicester and speaking to both muslim community and the hindu community and walking through the areas that had been heavily vandalized and to see where hindu symbols had been removed like bits of stuff that they hadn't managed to quite scrape off their their doors to see doors smashed in to see cars smashed in to speak to families with young children who were terrified um people double locking their doors cctv cameras newly installed um very frightened people this was really deeply upsetting um but i think what made it worse was the injustice on these people that this wasn't being spoken about um we had uh, mohammed hijab march through this area with a photo of his face people behind him saying this is the muslim patrol we had majid freeman putting posts up saying listen to them and their their music and it sounded like a hindu festival and saying we don't hear music like this anymore after our muslim brothers when it sorted it out um this was this is devastating and this is a real concern and i think in, we need to very quickly ascertain that this has been happened and that needs to be public knowledge and people need to be aware of that needs to be understood so that we can actually do real community cohesion work and and work with these communities to mend and to give the hindu community the confidence again to display their symbols as you said and the confidence to move back to these areas um and and not permanently move out you know we're quite i i'm quite worried that in months to come we'll see a change in the demographics of of this particular area of leicester because why would a family stay but isn't that a slap on the face of Brit- britain's democracy that you've created i don't know how else to say it this is ghettoization uh this is the dark side of quote and quote multiculturalism where uh if if you have a certain mindset i mean what the hell is a muslim patrol i don't understand this what the hell is this like is this like a sharia patrol where if if you dress a certain way you know what this reminds me of this is so scary because in the 1980s in new york and new jersey area there was this particular racist attack on hindus that were called the dot busters basically hindu women who would wear the the bindi uh, the red dot on their forehead uh, they would be shot and i'm not even making this up this the, this was a serious hate crime in the united states of america uh where uh, the days when the united states of america was way more racist than it is today and and this kind of reminds me of that where you have patrols and basically hindus can't even go about living their normal life i mean this this worries me more than anything else 
that's absolutely awful and i and i really hope we're not getting to that level of violence but as i as those words escape my mouth i also have to think about the fact that we have seen um stabbing and and violence here um but that has been on both sides so when we go back to earlier in the year to to around may um there was an incident where a young muslim man was uh, stabbed and the claim is by a group of Hindu, Hindu young men and that, that happened then reciprocal violence and that there were questions of are you Hindu are you Muslim from both sides and if the the opposite answer was given to the group they belonged to then there was a, an assault um, so the, there were there has been violence there has been prejudice between the two the two groups there um, and what we saw spin out of control and then become a threat to the nor the the wider Hindu community, and we're talking about families, aunties, um, everyone, not just these young youths that were behaving in a gang-like manner. That was this false representation of uh, RSS extremism or, or whatever. Um, but we need to address what what's happening between these young men. But we also need to address this false narrative because the false narrative is what creates the threat and what then, as you said, creates this concern around ghettoization and concern around assaults and, and, and vandalism. That's that's all about this false narrative. That's all about dehumanizing a group and, and saying that they are all something. Yeah, and, and this, this is something that deeply worries me because uh, whether we like it or not, the world is going to... <laughs> be multicultural whether we like it or not and that's a good thing i i don't say this as a negative i say this as a positive uh, i like the idea of multiculturalism i don't know why people uh don't don't understand it okay there's this confusion what was the trigger point of this unrest was it the cricket match i mean what is it uh, a cricket beef what the hell was it and and if it is a cricket beef the do britishers regret uh sharing cricket with india and pakistan <laughs> I mean, I really think it has very little to do with the cricket match. Um, I think it has to do with uh, what I just mentioned, this this clash between the young men. Um, there was a real sense of uh, territory, male pride. It was a really young male issue. It had sort of gang overtones, undertones. Um, and it was that that was being portrayed before the cricket match as uh, Hindutva, RSS, Modi, the BJP, all of these kind of terms were being banded about before the cricket match. The cricket match and the individuals that were involved in the cricket match, this has all got very confusing. Who was the aggressor? Who was the victim? From which nationality originally did they, they come from? And, and there's yet a real understanding of what happened there. But at every cricket match, there is uh, nationalism, there's chanting, there's aggression. We have the same with football matches. Um, and I think that this was just an, an opportunity to yet again lay this claim about Hindutva extremism, RSS. Um, but this this started before and, and it really, really links to the youth, the youth violence. Um, the cricket match was just conveniently placed in a series of events that they were able to portray as something that it wasn't. I actually agree with you because I had asked this question in one of my, uh, raised this question in, on one of my monologues was that, you know, I mean, I'm going to take a name. You don't have to. Uh, Nigel Farage laid, you know, had this whole shtick on why immigration fails and how immigration has not worked and blah, blah, blah. And he laid, oh, look, they have not. I was like, were the new immigrants responsible for the soccer hooligans or the football hooligans, as we call it, uh, because Americans call it soccer? Uh, um, uh, 
uh, was there any hindutva angle when people who don't like manchester united to lose or whatever team they belong to liverpool uh, and they fight each other uh so why is it i want to ask this question would mainstream media in england be so blasé if i was to say use the word and so you know nonchalant when it comes to these things um, that you just typecast an entire set and uh, w- would that be done if uh, if the case was like so the lesson is the lesson for the hindu community in this entire process is be way more litigious like uh, you mentioned in the case of mohammed ajab and everyone but sue their pants off then maybe they'll start taking them seriously is is their defensiveness and their actually their attempt to merge in british society and just become like normal britishers their folly now That's really interesting that you say that that's absolutely um what the hindu community needs to be doing to be branded as a dangerous extremist as terrorists um and for the press to in some way allow that to be carried that would not happen to the more litigious groups um there there wasn't a a concern and a a real attention to detail and fear around discussing the hindu community in this way that, that there would be um if we were talking about extreme sections of the muslim community um and absolutely that care is to do with um people standing for their legal rights and standing um against libel a defamation um and there is an argument to which we say and we got to the point now with defamation and libel that it's difficult to actually talk about what's going on and and, and I think there's an argument to be had there and there's a discussion to be had there but ultimately if the hindu community um wants to not be falsely branded it needs to stand up for itself so, you know it's such a terrible time i mean i i don't know how to say this but in one of my recent podcasts i i was just trying to understand so i'm going to use the analogy again because so that you understand where i'm coming from you know in india when i was growing up and i started my business like we used to have these areas where it's it's it, this clearly shows the fall of state capacity across the world the the state has failed these things only happen when the state fails and when the state fails something takes its place uh so in india we would have these scenarios where you know because the policing in an area is not good or etc etc is not good there would be people who create nuisance value so if that person has nuisance value and they would come into my business and be like you have to hire xyz according to my wishes because he's my man or my woman or whatever genders they are these days you otherwise otherwise dot 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 and i know that person has nuisance value so i'm going to comply so so what you're basically explaining to me over here is that the muslim community has understood the system <laughs> they have created a nuisance value because they have realized the state has basically lost its capacity to manage these things and but i mean this is such a bad representation of british democracy and i'm not saying india is any better don't don't get me wrong india is as hopeless as england in these things because it's basically what we are doing in this process is we're telling communities become notorious and create nuisance value i mean i may sound a little bit like a broken record here but we need to be strong on our values of a liberal democratic society that's individual liberty that's the right to um freedom of religion that's mutual tolerance equality respect 
Um, we need to be able to have a society in which you are free to be an LGBT member and that you're, you are free to live equally as a woman to a man. Um, and these things we need to defend without hesitation. Um, and it sounds bizarre, doesn't it? A British person saying that as a, well, obviously, um, but not so obviously. Uh, this has been a real issue um, when we come up to like run-ups to elections, when, um, for instance, when the press is handling these issues, as well, what press is worrying about being sued, uh, MPs are worrying about getting elected, and we end up in this very worrying place where we are not so strong on our values, our liberal democratic values. But these liberal democratic values, if I was, and again, these are my words, not yours, so please, uh, anybody who listens to this, it they clearly fail only one test. They don't fail a test in any other situation. And and I don't know what else to do. I mean, I mean smart people will understand what I'm trying to say. But, and, you know, an average Britisher, it doesn't matter which religion they belong to, who believes in liberalism and a secular society, someone like me who believes in liberal values and secular values, I mean, we need to stand up, but if the state fails you, it's like if if you're going to go somewhere and the state says, my hands are lifted, I don't know what to do, you guys deal for yourselves. It's, it's a pretty ridiculous situation, but uh, I want to now get into the latter half of, um, of uh, your report. Now, obviously, we've concluded and your, uh, your report see, clearly uh, indicates that there was basically no evidence of Hindutva uh, connections in any of these disturbances. But now, now let us talk about recommendations. I'm actually, I was really happy with this part of the report is because a lot of times when we read reports, we never read recommendations. It's as if, you know, everybody likes to state a problem. Nobody likes to give a solution because <laughs> that's a standard human condition. Everybody finds problems everywhere. And then you're like, what do we do about it? Nope. I'm not going to say anything. Uh, you're just supposed to sit and sulk, I, I guess. And, and that's what pretty much sells on social media too. No, sulking sells, recommendations don't. But we're going to focus uh, on all the recommendations that you have mentioned in the report. So we're going to start with the first one. You talk about broadcasters and Ofcom. So so could you explain? Yeah, and I'm going to make you explain all of them because it matters a lot. Because I, I really enjoyed that bit. And, and I'm really glad you guys did that. And I'm actually proud of uh, the fact that I was able to see finally one report uh, that, that did that. So can you explain uh, the first one? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, all of our reports are very policy and recommendation driven. Um, we want to influence change and we often do get picked up by people in government. My last report, which was in anti-Semitism, got picked up by our uh, former prime minister, Liz Truss, as something that she was going to implement some of my recommendations. So it's really important for us as an organisation that, that we have clear recommendations. And our first one, um, as you said, was around um, Ofcom and the media and basically there are laws in place to regulate those that are approached for comment and the kind of comments that are given um, and in no way should someone who has given praise to the Taliban um, expressed praise for Anwar al-Waki that person shouldn't be able to be speaking into a, a community situation like this um, so my recommendation was to follow the, the policy and law that's already in place, also to make sure that's being followed um, and for media to understand where their due diligence is, is and if they haven't got policy in place to make sure they do and they do their due diligence checks. 
All right. Now the next one was the Leicester City Council. Now, also, I have a request because a live uh, viewer had asked this question. Uh, so before we talk about uh, the Leicester City Council recommendations that you've given to them, can you also explain the politics of Leicester? Because, you know, a lot of audiences in India may not even understand mm. Leicester and its politics. Mm -hmm. So we're very close to the mayor mayoral elections. Um, so the city mayor, uh, Salisbury, so Salisbury is um, at the moment predominantly thinking about how he gets re-elected. And that's where we saw concerns in, in, with who he was speaking to and the kind of way in which he was speaking about these issues. Um, it was very clear he was appealing to a certain voting community. At least that is, that is what comes across. We can't be absolute on this, but we're talking, I think, seven months, maybe less until the mayoral elections. And so that makes you question, with the fact that prevent and counter-extremism know very well who some of these community claiming representatives are, why then the mayor, who should be very aware, and I would expect to be very aware, is allowing for these conversations to happen and for him to be recorded and put on Twitter having these conversations. Uh, I would find it very hard to believe that he wasn't aware who uh, Majid Freeman was. So it calls into question these meetings, these discussions about his re-election. Fair enough. Another thing, uh, and uh, not that this was mentioned in the report, but another thing, I forgot the name of the particular specific gentleman who was part of uh, the analysis, uh, which was part of the council, if I if I remember. And then the Hindu community made a lot of noise. And uh, th that specific gentleman, I don't remember his name, has been removed. Uh, uh, can you tell me why did the Hindu community raise objections to him being appointed as the part of the committee? Yes, you're talking about Dr. Chris Allen. He was appointed as the head of the independent review into Leicester. So it was the mayor's role to appoint someone to do the review. So the first issue there was, where was the committee to make this decision? Was this just made by the mayor himself? Or was there a committee of people to make a decision? We That wasn't clear. The process that was followed there wasn't clear. That was the first question. Um, and then the choice of Dr. Alan himself was very concerning. Um, this particular academic has focused heavily on uh, issues um, around Islamophobia, which is absolutely no problem with that. But there are a group that campaign heavily around Islamophobia that are somewhat problematic. Um, and he has been working heavily with them. He's had a, spent a lot of time with someone who um, is considered to be a 9-11 denier um, and seems very friendly with him. Um, and there was just a sense that he was quite close to and spent time with and was potentially influenced um, by those that some would consider to be Islamist extremists or, or um, those that already have an agenda against the Hindu community in some way. So that was the Hindu community's main concern. I think the main concern from uh, my perspective as a researcher and the need for independence was the fact that uh, Dr. Chris Allen had already expressed somewhat in some of his writings that Hindutva was to play. Um, so by saying that already, without having conducting any research, without having looked at the evidence at all, um, suggested he was already he already had a conclusion in mind, which therefore would uh, affect the whole way in which he would conduct that research. So for me as a researcher, from my position, that was my issue with it. But the, as you asked, the Hindu community's issue was, uh, issue was more to do with his closeness to some of these individuals that 
the Hindu community consider problematic. All right. So uh, the third point you've raised in the report is called uh, prevent. Now, uh, that's a significant chunk of the recommendations. I mean, the, the longest bit, if I, if I got the words right, I did a word count there. So what do you mean exactly when you say prevent? Um, so I myself am a former uh, prevent practitioner and prevent is our soft end of counterterrorism. It's about the pre-criminal space. It's about where there are issues between communities, where there are the beginnings of extremism, the beginnings of extreme thought, uh, about each other um, and that's the space where we try and do a lot of community-based positive work cohesion work the 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 really positive um, preventative work um, so my prevent recommendations would have been although forgive me I'm not sure what exactly what they were right now but they would have been speaking into how we make the community more resilient more cohesive and don't and how we prevent further radicalization or future radicalization um i'm sure remind me though <laughs> fair enough all right the next one was charity commission um, that was just, you said, the Hindu temples that plan to host Sadhvi Ratambra require investigation as to whether they have a robust and functioning speaker policy in place. Now, uh, my question here is, now, look, uh, for, full disclosure, I'm not a fan of uh, the person named over here. I, I, I'm being very open and honest. And I'm going to get tons of brickbats from my own followers for just stating this because that's just the world we live in. But, but still, uh, I'm also a free speech absolutist. I believe people should have a right to speak. Why? Uh, I mean, I'm just asking, why would you add that as a recommendation? Uh, well, a lot of the temples that I spoke to said the reason why um, it took a Muslim community member telling them that she had held problematic views that were concerned to the Muslim community. Um, when that was brought to them, that was the first time they knew anything about it. And they cancelled it straight away. Um, they didn't want any problems with the Muslim community. They didn't want to cause any offence. Um, and so this really calls into question, had they even done a simple Google check? And it's, um, it is required by the Charity Commission that um, temples, relig religious organisations, people that host speakers, schools, that, that there's a due diligence process that's followed. And you should never get to the point where someone tells you something that you could find easily on Google uh about your speaker that you didn't know and that's a concern um so it's 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 not um pointing the finger at the temples it's not saying that they knew what they were doing it's not saying that um anything to that effect really it's saying make sure you do your checks make sure you follow make sure you have a policy in place and you follow it because if you do that then you're doing the right thing by the charity commission and then the charity commission is not going to have a problem with you. And also we will hopefully not see any problems in the future with speakers that are going to cause great, great upset. Um, and, and when that's followed, if it turns out the Saivi Rithambara is not a problem, if that's the conclusion, at least you can go back and look at the, the due diligence that you followed and the checks that you did, that you came to that conclusion. Um, but if you haven't done those checks, you can't come to any conclusion at all. Fair enough. Uh, as far as... Um... Hindu temples and their due diligence are concerned. Well, <laughs> uh, the, uh, I mean, stupidity has uh, no boundaries. So I don't know how many people remember the three heads of the Hindu organizations doing a joint press conference in England at that time. They literally had Majid Friedman, Freeman with them. 
when they did the joint press conference. So so please don't have high hopes from the Hindu community in that department. They're really stupid. Uh, they they invited an actual ISIL sympathizer over there. So uh, expecting due, <laughs> due diligence from them uh, is a little bit tough. And I know these are not your words. These are my words. But I can say that as a Hindu. I got street cred. I can I, I can diss on my own people <laughs> if, I was to, if I was to say that. But okay. So uh, we've already discover you you recommended an independent review now we touched upon the independent review through the appointee question but now this is the one play thing that i admire the most like you you actually recommended further research so first i want you to explain what you meant by further research and then i'll share my views because i have tons of views over there because when i read uh, the western coverage of india i mean uh, I used to get angry at first, but now I laugh and I actually genuinely have a hearty laugh. I I, I read it as a comedy or a parody account, but but I want to hear from you. What, why, why did you specifically uh, recommend further research? I mean, look, uh, we have the largest South Asian diaspora in, in Europe. Um, and we need to understand what is creating any kind of friction, any kind of unrest between our communities. We need to understand that. And we identified knowledge gaps. We identified knowledge gaps um, in exactly what what is going on with India politics and how that might be affecting the UK diaspora. But we also uh, acknowledged a really a significant knowledge gap, which was this discussion that there was anti-Hindu hate taking place in schools and anti-Hindu hate taking place across country for, for a long time, uh, really horrible um, religious anti-Hindu kind of slurs and even physical attacks that we weren't aware of the scale of the problem. So the, the key piece of research that I would like to do next um, and support is welcome for <laughs> the key piece of next research um, is to look at the level of anti-Hindu hate in schools. Uh, is it being properly reported? Is it being properly held in sort of anti-bullying, uh, re recording where there are bullying cases in schools, but also um, how they go about their anti-bullying policy and understanding what might be going on in their schools between their pupils? And if we should find significant cause for concern, then we need to start working with schools about creating better cohesion and resilience and, and working on conflict resolution at that age, at the school age, so that we don't end up with um, young school leaders, young school leavers on the streets getting into fights uh, in a Hindu Muslim community getting into fights with each other the way we have. Honestly, uh, here's my bit. I mean, when you have articles in papers like The Independent that are titled, I mean, I know it's been taken off as of now, but it was an opinion piece on The Independent, which was titled, British Indians have a big racism problem. We need to be honest about it. And, and you know, when articles like that, uh, I think Sunny Hundal, if I get his name right, was the editor who allowed this article in The Independent. And, and this is just the tip of the iceberg. Um, I think it was like four years ago or three years ago, I was on as a guest on another podcast and I had made a very specific uh, prediction um, based on my research, I was going through, uh, and I'll mention the papers here, New York Times, Washington Post, Wall Street Journal, um, The Guardian, The Independent, and many such papers. All I used to do is basically study the reportage of India. Every time something good related to India happened, the word India is out, the word Hindu is out. 
South Asian is used. It's very fascinating. Anything good is South Asian. Every time something specifically bad happens, it's India, it's Hindu. So when you when you have a specific coverage, and 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 I don't want you to be influenced by my words, and I and I hope you find flaws in my argument when you start researching this, because I'm someone who'll change my mind just like that. If, if provided uh, proper evidence with, but I literally digged the archives of all these papers and I was just appalled. And uh, the coverage of India and the Hindu community in, in specific uh, is, I don't know what word in English because English is not my f- first language and I don't want to swear. So it, it's, it's, it's insane. And uh, they think it's not going to have any downstream effects on average Hindus living in the West because their hatred of Modi primarily because Narendra Modi won and whether we like it or not, uh, pretty much most of the media controlled in the West is left of center, whether we like it or not. Um, And then their hatred of that electoral loss and they had, they had, they needed something to hit them with. So they, they have created this Hindutva bogey and this, this Hindutva bogey is now, something that goes around consistently. And and if you're going to research this, I hope you paint a better picture because my biggest worry is that, you know, I don't want the dot busters to be back again and poor Hindu kids who like, they don't even know what all these issues are. Uh, I know British Hindus who honestly, Charlotte, they have more things in common with you than with me as an Indian. They don't relate to me. <laughs> they relate to you. <laughs> and after all of that, the community has to go. And this is the story in Canada. This is a story in America. This is the story in the United Kingdom. This is the story in Australia. Kids messaging me, second generation kids messaging me, not first generation, messaging me, emailing me uh, and telling me, we don't know what to do. So I, I, I sincerely hope that your research actually calms my fear down and doesn't make it even more uh, uh, exaggerated. That is incredibly interesting what you've just said. And of course, I'd been observing that, but I hadn't really taken it further to to think about doing a proper piece into looking at the discourse around the Hindu community in the news, because we did that. We did that for the Muslim community. And it was very Islamophobic, the uh, discourse around the Muslim community until a number of years ago. Um, And there was a large piece of research done into how terms weren't being used properly um, and how this was problematic. Um, Exactly the kind of things you've just spoken about for the Hindu community. And it did influence the way in which issues of Islamist extremism are discussed and not painted broadly to to be discussing the whole Muslim community, which is what was happening. Um, And if we could repeat that kind of work for the Hindu community, we could well be in a a much better place beyond my recommendation of we must follow our due diligence, uh, the media must follow due diligence, to actually observing and pointing the finger at the, the situation showing where it's going wrong and providing training. There was a lot of training given to media outlets on how they needed to discuss these issues going forwards. Surely we could do the same for the Hindu community. And thank you, Kushal, I'll just be stealing your ideas. No, no, no. no. I, I, honestly, I, I, I'm happy if someone does this. Because look, if I do it, they'll be like, uh, you 
are an Indian, a Hindu, so you are biased. Fair enough. I don't. I want someone to poke holes in in my studies. I want someone to prove me wrong. I I, I am so worried about this phenomenon that I've been saying this for. And this is not anybody who's you know is a regular on my podcast will will be very honest and say Kushal had predicted this three years ago that the this is just you know these are baby steps into something extremely bad uh, uh, there was a hindu phobia paper that analyzed uh, hindu content or uh, hindu phobic slurs used on social media that was published uh, by rutgers university i did have a podcast on that too if you want i i can i can you know send that paper across to you and you can uh, study the material over there too and uh, and it, it it was an absolute shocker that how slurs on hindus are just you know just they're just passe like you can say what you want to say and nobody gives a damn and if i say it oh you you are hindutva so what do you know okay so i'm hindutva but i, I don't want to waste our time on that and i want to ask this question <laughs> again this is a question from a young kid in india and and trust me this is a very valid question you have met a lot of second generation british hindus so the question this young kid from india is asking is do they even understand what hindutva is in your limited interactions um a lot of uh, the persons that i spoke to who are even being um directly accused of being members of these organizations were saying things like rrs instead of rss uh, the knowledge of indian politics was almost as poor as mine <laughs> um and you know because we were looking at a, a uk based issue we were looking at whether this existed in the uk we were looking at whether these individuals were a part of any kind of extremist organizations and terrorist organizations um and it was almost like we were both quite baffled um and the hindu community if anything can sometimes be quite what's i don't want to be using an insulting word but can be quite snobby about indian politics and can distance themselves from it quite a lot and talk about how they're british and when speaking to the temples um or redeeming kind of response was we don't have anything to do with indian politics british um we're british and we're proud and like in those kind of um statements uh, so so yeah so i kind of have to agree with you so yeah i mean i look that was my experience when i used to talk to british hindus they they have no clue about india and and i don't know how to say this that their understanding of india is bollywood which is uh, <laughs> which is an abomination to say the least and that's just my personal opinion i don't like bollywood but in in such a scenario if and maybe this will be my last question to you and then we can wrap up the discussion uh what would you as an as a britisher i also wanted to ask this because people were trying to smear you too i remember you had tweeted about it too so so maybe this is not my last this is my second last question then i'll come to my last question because i think it's my moral responsibility to ask you this question they tried to smear you because you wrote this report um uh, first of all i commend you for doing this uh, you you know you're um uh, you, you've done you know you're a truth seeker i know i've spoken offline and you just cared about the truth and most people hate that reality that you know they, you know people could be truth seekers too but how has it been for you personally i'm quite resilient to this 
by now. I mean, I've been doing counter-extremism and counter-terrorism work for years. Um, and if you, if you d deal in this space, you have to be prepared to face opposition. Um, apparently, I am funded by Modi. Um, I quite, well, quite often, I, uh, I see comments like, this, that Modi dog is doing overtime. Um, so, uh, but you know, you've got to laugh and you've got to know that you're doing good work, you are speaking the truth, um, and these people have an extremist agenda, they are quite hateful, and um, yeah, it, it, it doesn't bother me. <laughs> really. yeah. I just want to know, Charlotte, does Modi pay in dollars or in pounds? <laughs> I'd quite like to get paid. <laughs> uh, no, I do. I, I'm, I'm in a paid job. <laughs> All right. Not so, all Modi. Not just made yeah. that really clear. I just don't know why that needs clarification, but apparently it does. <laughs> all right. So, so the last question: uh, What do you? What would your recommendation for um, the Hindu community be? Let's say, as an outside observer. Um, well, you, uh, you did uh, learn a few Hindi words, so uh, I, I credit you for that too. <laughs> I remember you told me once that you'd le you learned a few Hindi words. So beyond that, what, what, is your, what, what would your uh, message to the Hindu community be after studying this as a researcher? I think that in the UK, the Hindu community does, as we've already said, need to um follow the processes that are there uh within within british laws they do anyway but but follow them and use them use what they have available to them so if someone is defaming them then put in a, a, a an accusation of libel and um there were some very useful organizations in the uk there's one called uh, vishal manthan uk that does loads of um really interesting projects with youth where um they look kind of academic rigor and debate and becoming more vocal and um, being able to get involved in these kind of conversations in an effective and impactful way and I just think that you know the Hindu community does just need to become more involved um, in debate in narrative um, and have a voice um, I think that the research that we do here at the Henry Jackson Society is really important um, and we have future pieces of work that we would love to do um, and so just following what we do um, and seeing if there's any way that you can get involved and support in whatever way, that, that's brilliant. My Twitter is Charlotte F. Litt, so follow me, see what I'm up to. Um, people can always uh, message me on my Twitter if they want to know anything in particular or discuss whether they want to have any kind of connection with the organization, anything like that. You know, we're open. But I think get involved, have a voice. Uh, use what's legally available to you, the tools that you have, um, and see what's out there and ju just become more active. Fair enough. And uh, obviously, uh, you know, I, in the description of the podcast, I have left uh, Charlotte's Twitter handle, the Henry Jackson Society's Twitter handle, a link to the report too. I would highly recommend you guys go and read the report. And, it, you know, if if you have questions about the report, you can, you know, contact charlotte you can leave your comments uh, about the report too um, i'm sure you might have certain points of disagreement over there but charlotte before we wrap up once again thanks for coming on the podcast and i really appreciate your work uh, this was a uh, uh, fantastic work and uh, uh, i hope the indian community uh, 
serves you some great food next time you meet them and uh, you enjoy that food. So, th and thanks for coming on the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. All right, guys, we'll wrap the, today's discussion up. Once again, follow Charlotte on Twitter, follow the Henry Jackson Society. You can go and check out their work on their website. It's interesting. They do a lot of good quality research. And if you like what I'm doing, please subscribe to the Charlotte Podcast YouTube channel. Like this video, leave your comments in the comment section. Or if you want to support it monetarily, you can become a member on YouTube or on Patreon, or you can buy the merch or send your donations to UPI. I will see you guys next time. Until then, namaste. Take care. Bye-bye.